Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery with me, Jody Stevens. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, medical, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. Hey friends, and welcome back. And today I'm joined by Richard Capriola. Richard is author of a new book for parents. It's called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I'm excited for what we're gonna talk about. Richard has over two decades of experience treating teens and adults with addictions. You can find him online at helptheaddictedchild.com. So Richard, thanks for connecting with me and thanks for making the time to be here. Thank you, Jody. I appreciate you taking the time to speak to me today about this topic and uh, hopefully uh, give some information out to parents and, and others that they'll find useful and helpful. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And it's a very important topic and becoming even more important as we see what's going on in our world. So excited. We're going to be talking about teen drug and alcohol use, teen addiction, how the pandemics affected it, prevention strategies, warning signs, all sorts of great things. So if you're a parent of any child, this is going to be some really important information. And we want you to tune in or share it with anybody you know that, you know, is struggling with addiction or has kids that are struggling from addiction. Richard, what part of the world are you and where are you? I am just outside of Houston, Texas. Oh, very nice. A lot of people are moving to Texas. (laughs) It's a busy place. I will say that. I've been to the Dallas airport. That's as far as I've gotten. It was like a five hours sitting in the plane, too. Apparently, they have airplane gridlock at that airport. <laughs> I've never flown in and out of the Dallas one. I've flown in and out of Houston, but, uh, but not Dallas. So, Richard, are you a substance abuse counselor or an overall therapist? I am primarily a mental health and substance abuse counselor. I uh, transitioned from working uh, over three decades in education in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Uh, as a state-level employee. And then as I moved out of that career, I moved over into mental health, where I worked at a mental health uh, crisis center. Mm -hmm. And I noticed a number of people that were coming from the hospital to the crisis center had Mm -hmm. not only a mental health issue they were struggling with, but also a substance abuse issue. So I went back to the University of Illinois and obtained a master's degree in what is essentially addictions counseling. And uh, then accepted a job at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, which is a large psychiatric hospital serving adults and, uh, and adolescents. And I worked at Menninger as an addictions counselor for a little over a decade, uh, working with both teens and, and adults. That's awesome. So where you're working now is integrated. So they're treating not only addiction, but a lot of the co-occurring mental health challenges. Yes, that's absolutely right. And I worked at Menninger for about 11 years, and then I retired from there. And uh, and that's when I set about to write this book that uh, I wanted to to write for parents so that they would have a resource that would mm-hmm. uh, that would help them. Because when I was at Menninger, I would, uh, I would sit across from parents and I would tell them about their child's use of a substance, what drugs and substances they'd been using, when they began using, and how often they'd been using. And, and they would look across at me 
sometimes and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, well, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. And these are good parents. These are good parents doing the best Mm -hmm. they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So I wanted to create this resource that runs about 100 pages that would give them the information to help them feel a little bit more confident, uh, a little bit more secure, and, and, and better prepared to, to deal with this issue if they have to, and also to know what the warning signs are, what to look for. That's so needed right now. Do you have like a personal story of addiction or overcoming a mental health issue that led you into this field? Well, it didn't lead me into this field. Uh, mm-hmm. I was led into this field uh, by the work that I was doing at the mental health crisis center where I saw so many people struggling with uh, a psychiatric disorder as well as a substance abuse disorder. But in my own past, uh, there was a period of time when uh, I was abusing alcohol much more Mm -hmm. than what I should have been. Um, And that went on for a number of years. And it was more occupational because when I was with the uh, uh, State Board of Education in Illinois, I was part of my job was to be a a lobbyist. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I would there were a period of years when I spent drinking much more alcohol than than what I should have. And there's a yeah, there's a lot of careers that lend itself to addiction and recovery. You know, yeah. sales, lobbyists, politicians, you know, police Absolutely. officers, you know, things like that. So that is definitely one of the things to be aware of. But I love what you said about you know, most people don't realize that people that struggle with addiction have other co-occurring mental health disorders. What that means is, like for me, I've been sober 17 years, but I was self-medicating um, generalized anxiety disorder, uh, and so you know. Most people don't realize it, and I think it can be very eye-opening for someone once they understand, oh my gosh, what most people are trying to do when they're using a substance is they're actually having a normal reaction. They're trying to fix something wrong in their brain or trauma or something like that. That is absolutely right. Uh, and when we look at the uh, adolescent population, in it's not much different than the adult population in, in, in that regard. In other words, um, some teenagers, not all teenagers, but uh, some teenagers are using a substance uh, like marijuana, for example, or alcohol mm-hmm. or some other drug to medicate an underlying psychological reason. Um, It might be anxiety, it might be depression, might be some type of trauma, might be an emerging personality disorder, um, you know, you name it. But unfortunately, many times those underlying issues that a person is using uh, a drug or alcohol to medicate often go undiagnosed. In other words, we catch the substance abuse but we miss the underlying psychological reason that the person is using a substance to medicate. And unfortunately, all too often, that underlying reason gets undiagnosed and untreated. That's so true. And I feel like we're starting to incorporate the two. But at some point, addiction, recovery, and mental health got separated, right? And I don't know how or why that happened because remember like back in the day 
well, I shouldn't say back, but like back in the 30s and 40s, right? You went in, you know, before like AA and Dr. Bob, you went into a hospital and then everything got separated. I feel like we're sort of shifting back and realizing, oh, wait, these two things are one and the same, where they're starting to do more integrated treatments and stuff. Do you think that we're seeing more of that today? I think we're seeing more of it, but I don't think we're seeing enough of it. Uh, I think that, you know, there are still uh, many adults as well as adolescents that are suffering from uh, substance abuse or substance dependency. And the underlying psychological reasons uh, go undiagnosed. And I think part of that is because we focus on the drugs and we don't, we don't, stop to look at what what's causing it is there something underneath it and that's that's the reason why in my book i recommend that if you suspect your child is using a substance you need to get a comprehensive assessment so i have a chapter in my book that lists the assessments you should get done for example, you will need an addictions assessment to get you mm-hmm. to, so that you know what's going on with your child's substance abuse. But you need more than that. You need a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment to see if there's any underlying reason why your child might be using a substance and to either rule in or rule out whether or not your child has a, a psychological um, a reason for their using a, a, a substance, what we call a co-occurring disorder. Yeah, and that's great advice because sometimes it can be a a bit of a relief. You know, you realize, oh, my goodness, they are suffering from depression or an anxiety disorder or, you know, maybe bipolar, which tends to be kind of common with with addiction and recovery. And, you know, it's – it just gives a reason, you know, like – and you as a therapist know that, I mean, everybody does things for a reason. Right. People aren't just like, I'm just trying to be bad. (laughs) You know, I mean, obviously we understand peer pressure. Right. And and we get that sometimes we're just trying to fit in. But even under that can be uh, anxiety and self-esteem issues like it was for me and not having no ability to deal with conflict, to say no, to understand. You know, I had to learn all that stuff once I left the home because of some very codependent family dynamics. So there's always some underlying reasons to work, you know, to work on for sure. But let's talk about teens using, you know, young adults and teens. What are teens using to day versus, you know, maybe back when we were kids. Obviously, we know fentanyl is a huge problem. And I don't know how many parents even know about this. Well, I think that's an important issue because uh, in my book, I have chapters that are devoted to the street drugs. Um, You know, parents know about alcohol and marijuana. You know, they they pretty well know about that. But they may not know about some of these other street drugs that are out there that teenagers have access to. So in my book is a very brief set of chapters that helps parents understand what these street drugs are, just to become a little bit more familiar with them. In terms of what teenagers are using, using the the substances that they continue to get attracted to are alcohol and marijuana. Uh, 
those are the two most popular drugs being used by teenagers. And that's been true for a long, long period of time. I was going to say, nothing's changed then since I was in high school, because those no. were my two. <laughs> no, no, not really. Oh, there is gosh. some exposure to the higher core drugs, but, yeah. but that tends to be less than 5%. Um, but what we did notice was that in addition to alcohol and marijuana, Prior to the pandemic, for three years prior to the pandemic, we had seen a dramatic increase in what is known as vaping, where kids mm. will use a, a, a vaping instrument that turns a substance like nicotine and marijuana into a vapor, and then they inhale it. It's what's called vaping. Well, three years prior to the pandemic, for each of those years, there was a dramatic increase in the percentage of, of, of high school students, uh, adolescents, that were, that were vaping. So now we have alcohol, marijuana, and vaping as the primary substances that, uh, that teenagers have been using. Now, the pandemic comes along, and what we noticed was that in 2021, there was a dramatic decrease in adolescent substance abuse. For example, the number of high school, the percentage of high school students that were drinking alcohol dropped from 55% to 47%. Among 10th grade students, the percentage of students drinking alcohol dropped from 41% to 29%. And even marijuana declined um, and vaping declined. So that was last year, 2021, as a result of the pandemic. Now, the new data for 2022 will come out after the new year, and we'll be able to see if the decline that we saw in 2021, um, if it rebounded in 2022. Hmm. That's interesting because my everything I've heard was that everything increased. So that's an interesting statistic. What did increase, we saw adolescent substance abuse dramatically, significantly decline, but mm -hmm. we saw adolescent mental health issues that's, significantly yeah. increase. And, mm -hmm. and we'd already known for 10 years that we had a crisis going on with teenage mental health. Mm -hmm. the, the, that, that was, we knew that for 10 years prior to the pandemic. Well, the pandemic just increased it. Mm, yeah. That, and that's, that makes more sense to me because I was talking with um, another therapist. He does a lot of work in the rural areas and he was saying, you know, not only what you just said with the mental health, but literally that during the pandemic, that the caseload, like his caseloads in particular, or theirs had doubled. Yeah. And are you seeing that as well? I'm seeing a significant increase in, in, in kids who uh, were showing up at the emergency room needing psychological oh. intervention or psychological help. Kids were reporting that they were having difficulty with sleep. They were becoming angry. They were becoming depressed. They were, uh, they were becoming, um, you know, anxious. Um, so there was, and I think we just scratch, we're just scratching the surface in terms of how this pandemic affected the mental health of both teenagers and adults. What do you think caused this with the adolescents? Do you think it was the isolation or do you think it was, was probably a combination of some things, but, or do you think it was like the news and the stuff in the world? 
that we I think keep getting hammered with. <laughs> I think it's I think it's both. I think yeah. I think it was the isolation, uh, being pulled away from their traditional classroom environment, being pulled away from their social interaction with their peers, being pulled away from their extracurricular activities, mm. being isolated at home. Many of them do trying to do online learning and teach and education. But but I also think that a lot of it involved increased anxiety, increased fear, kids mm-hmm. worrying about their families, worrying about what's going on with their parents, worrying about getting getting the virus, uh, seeing, seeing their parents struggle with this day in and day out, yeah. maybe losing their jobs or seeing how their jobs had changed. So there's a lot of different dynamics that were going on last year that I think sort of increase the apprehension that kids were already going through. Mm. Yeah. And it's tough for like the situation you're in, because I I had one other therapist say, you know, that it was harder to make this argument for hope or for kids like, why should you do your homework? Or, you know, because they're like, well, the world's ending anyway. We have a pandemic. Everything's burning down. Like, why should I even bother? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and he was like, he was like, you know, it was it's, it's become harder to make that argument for why you should do A, B, C, D and E because of what's going on. And I thought, well, that's true. You know, you you, you kind of, as a therapist, have to sort of up your strategy a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if, and if the kids are feeling depressed and, you know, they just don't, or, or maybe they're struggling with online learning. They just can't get into yeah. it. They're having difficulties with it. And then, you know, th- that leads to uh, certain feelings that they have as well. So how is adolescent drug use or drug addiction different from adult addiction? I think there's two big differences. Uh, The first is in um, the brain. Uh, Adults brain after around age 24, 25 are fully, pretty much fully developed. The adolescent brain, however, is in the process of maturing and developing and forming those, those connections that that child will find, that that child will need later in life. So the first big difference between uh, adult addiction and adolescent addiction is the difference in the brain between adults and adolescents. The second difference is in consequences. Adults who are addicted uh, oftentimes have faced catastrophic consequences as a result of their substance use. They may have they may have lost a job. They may have lost a marriage and a family. They may have uh, been incarcerated. Uh, so these can be catastrophic consequences that adults unfortunately face from time to time as a result of, of being addicted. Adolescents, on the other hand, have not faced catastrophic consequences. Their big consequence is their parent coming down on them, their parents grounding them or restricting them. But these are not the kind of catastrophic consequences that unfortunately many adults who are struggling with an addiction face. So brain development consequences are the two big differences between adolescent addiction and uh, adult addiction. And how does the substance impact then the development of the brain? I know for me and, you know, I lost uh, my brother to his addiction and we see a lot of sort of stunted emotional growth, also having trouble with 
impulse control because you haven't learned to r- sort of ride that emotional wave where like I can survive this, you know, being dumped or, you know what I mean? Where you learn at a young age to get to the other side of something bad. But how does it impact our our brain if let's say we start drinking heavily smoking weed at 14 which is was kind of my onset and onset and seems to be the sort of 13 14 seems to be that onset for a lot of teens you know yeah well part of part of the behavior that we see from from teenagers uh, aside from the drug use mm-hmm. is just the inability of those critical areas of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, for example, which helps yeah. helps us with reasoning. It's the last part of the brain to get developed. So it's mm. not developed fully until in the mid twenties. So right. part of part of the behaviors that we see from 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 adolescents, their ability to weigh pros and cons and make hopefully rational decisions, they just don't have that full capacity because the brain is just not prepared to deal with that yet. It's not right. developed to that point. Um, so so that's, that's a big difference for adolescents. Um, but I can tell you that the teenagers that I worked with at Menninger Clinic uh, who were smoking a lot of marijuana, these were kids that were smoking marijuana multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all very bright. Their IQs were above average to superior, but they were smoking a lot of marijuana. Now, when the psychological tests came back on those kids, what I noticed was the processing speed of their brain was below average and their short-term memory was impaired and their motivation was, was below what it should have been, below average. Now, many of these you would not necessarily observe without the testing. You wouldn't know that the processing speed was not where it should be. Um, You might not notice that the short-term memory is impaired. These are things that oftentimes are uncovered with psychological Mm -hmm. testing. Uh, So a parent might not notice those things. And these are just examples of how these substances, when they enter the brain, can make very subtle but important changes that are not necessarily readily observable, but they're going on behind the scenes in the background. It's very true. And there's a debate as to whether these things come back. Obviously, we know the brain is very healable, but I can tell you that I still struggle with (laughs) brain RAM, as you call it. (laughs) For those young people listening, he's talking about the RAM in your brain. And also short-term memory, because I, you know, like I said, I've been sober a long time, but I smoked a lot of weed, and I do believe that it impacted my memory. So I feel like, you know, for, you know, kids listening, this stuff can have, right, this can have long-term effects. That doesn't mean you can't heal and go on to live a great life, but just kind of a, a warning, right? I mean, Richard, the, this stuff can actually change your brain um, possibly in long-term it, it, it definitely has the potential to, to change your brain. Like the kids that I was just talking about that were smoking yeah. a lot of marijuana, the processing speed of their brain was below average and their short-term memory was impaired. What we do know, though, is that our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal itself. So right. That once, so that's like, did they get it back, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and so once a person stops using a substance, the brain starts to heal itself. Now, will the brain ever get back to where it was before? Right. Well, 
that depends on a number of factors. It depends on how young the person is when they started using. It depends on how long they used. It's a big difference between somebody who's smoking marijuana for two or three years versus somebody who's smoking it for 15 or 20 years. And that's true for any drug. Um, but, But regardless of that, you know, we do know that our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves. And that's a message that I want parents to understand too. Your child can overcome this abuse. They can, they can successfully go through treatment and they can, can, they can successfully move forward with their lives. But that requires many times an intervention. And first of all, recognizing the problems there, seeing the warning signs, intervening, and getting the appropriate treatment and the support system needed both during treatment and after treatment. And and, and your child, the child can go on and, and, and lead a very productive life and, and, and do very well. And that is the good news. So this has been part one of Teens, Addiction, and Substance Use with Richard Capriola. Again, Richard is the author of The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Use. And you can find out more about Richard, grab the book, and all that stuff at his website, which is helptheaddictedchild.com. I'm Jody Stevens, Genuine Life Recovery, helping you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other related mental health challenges. And of course, in this show, we dive into all of it, physical, emotional, psychological, medical, spiritual aspects of addiction recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or of course, by clicking podcast at jodystevens.org. And I'd love to hear from you. If you have a great story or you'd like to be part of the program, you can email me. It's genuinelife at jodystevens.org. Genuinelife at jodystevens.org, J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S. So thank you so much, friends, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.